Hello and welcome to Life of the School, episode 143. Hello, my name is Aaron Matthew, and I'm a biology teacher from Massachusetts, and on Life of the School podcast, I like to sit down with a panel of life science teachers and talk about issues that we're facing in our classroom. And one of the topics that teachers have been discussing a lot this year has been how issues with student behavior feel worse this past school year uh, compared to in previous years. Uh, and so today we're going to discuss this topic and reflect on how we may reframe this issue, particularly as we look to wrap this year up soon and move on. Um, uh, how, how, what have we learned from, from these issues? And so with this, uh, we are going to start with our goofy question. Um, and so I thought an appropriate uh, dumb question to ask for this one is what is a dumb rule that you've had to follow at some time during your life? Uh, and joining us from Ohio for the last, we got two episodes left while you're joining us from Ohio is Tanea Hibbler. Welcome Tanea. Hi, thanks for having me. It's always fun. Um, you know, of course, I couldn't just answer like in a straightforward <laughs> way. Um, I mostly Three paragraphs. Think, <laughs> yeah, I really think most rules are dumb. And um, I really think kids don't need a lot of rules. I think they need supervision and they need guidelines and things. But I think about like when I moved to Arizona, there's no helmet law. You don't have to wear a helmet. And obviously that's dumb because you kill yourself. Well, in my opinion. Um, but then you they have a rule where you're not allowed to like drive like in between the lanes. And in California, of course, you have to wear a helmet, but you are allowed to drive in between the lanes. So I think rules are pretty arbitrary. They change when you go from one place to another. I subbed at the middle school and um, they had a rule. The kids come into the lunchroom and they have to sit down at the tables and be quiet before they're allowed to get in line to get their lunch. And then they have to sit down and be quiet to get dismissed. And they don't get to just kick back and relax and enjoy lunch. So that was um, really rough for me to see that, like the kids. <laughs> that's a dumb rule to me. Yeah. That's, that is, I, I think, it, 100% in the spirit of what I was thinking about when I came up with that. <laughs> um, I, I completely think that uh, is a good example of a dumb rule. And I put my thumb on the scales for our next guest. And joining us from Texas <laughs> is Lee is Lee Ferguson. Welcome, Lee. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. I was like, oh, poke the bear. Why don't you? <laughs> because so, so it's not our school's jeans policy. I guess it's part of our employee dress code. Because mm -hmm. our district has an employee dress code. And I'm sorry, I think dress codes in general are dumb. Um, mm -hmm. You know, as long as you're covered and what you're wearing is not obscene, wear what you want to wear. I mean, honestly. Um, because some of the rules surrounding dress codes, especially down in the South where I am, and, you know, just some to provide some context, I'm in a fairly conservative district. I mean, and a lot of the ones up here are. And so a lot of the districts up here have some very similar rules for employees in terms of dress code. I mean, there are some that are really more extreme. Like um, there's one district that women up until I think two or three years ago had to wear pantyhose, could not have bare legs. I know. Had to wear <laughs> pantyhose. Men could not have facial hair. It was ridiculous. And I mean, even our student dress code, boys were not allowed to have facial hair up until, I want to say it's probably been about 10 years now that boys have been allowed to grow in their facial hair. They had to come to school and have be shaven. And if they weren't shaven, 
they were given, get this, and I think, Erin, you're the only one of us that can appreciate this. They were given one of those cheapy Bic razors and told to go to the bathroom and shave dry. Oh, dry? <laughs> dry. Oh, hey. Yeah, because, like, no, no shaving cream, nothing. Dry. I was like, what? <laughs> this is dumb. This is so dumb. And, of course, their rationale was, well, it's a security issue. Really? Because you have some teachers that look like 12-year-old boys on campus. What's the deal? <laughs> I mean, yes, we have some some grown looking, you know, students, but conversely, you have adults who don't look like adults. So mm. that doesn't fly. But they got rid of that rule, thank God, because we do have some kids on campus that have some glorious facial hair. So <laughs> there you go. But yeah, the jeans thing, the year I taught in jeans, which was last year, like all year long, my kids did the best they'd ever done on the AP exam. So <laughs> I'm just going to say it was not the jeans that had an effect <laughs> on how I taught them. So, you know, but, I'm yeah. just going to wear jeans whenever I feel like it. And yes, I'm going to say that in public because what are you going to do? <laughs> I mean, I'm just going to leave it right there. What are you going to yeah. do? I have no idea what our school dress policy is, but all, all I can say is that my evolution as a teacher dress wise is that, yeah, I wore a shirt and tie when I looked like a 12 year old when I started teaching. Um, <laughs> really for the first like eight years I taught, I wore a shirt and tie most days. And then on Fridays I'd loosen up and just wear a collared shirt. And like now, like I am like, like I am almost in like like old concert t-shirts and like ripped jeans like on a Monday. Like I'm nice. not there yet. <laughs> like nice. but like I I have like by the time I'm retired, like I'm gonna be walking in in board shorts and a backwards hat. Like it like it's I am I am trending towards very casual. Oh, you, uh, you but... laugh. So my husband has a colleague that's getting ready to move to Colorado and he's mm -hmm. got hired for a teaching position up there. And he was texting my husband today telling him, Oh yeah, the teachers up here, shorts and flip flops and t shirts. Oh, oh flip flops. Yes. And I'm like that is the dream right there. <laughs> I couldn't that... even wear flip-flops in Thailand. Like, yeah. wow. Was, you know. Well, but... not during lab, but. No, of course not. Of course not. Not going to lie, though. I do wear my Chacos in lab. Not ashamed. Not ashamed. I, I'm, I'm always telling the kids, do as I say, not as I do. <laughs> but, All right. Uh, and and, uh, and last uh, but not least, joining us from Wisconsin, welcome back, Sedate Kohler. Welcome back, Sedate. Hey guys, so um, mine is actually not really related to school. Um, I don't really think I've encountered that many like super stupid rules at school, but luckily, but um, I am part of a youth equestrian organization, so riding horses, and um, I've been in it since I was little, and now I'm like a volunteer and an instructor and stuff, but um, we are similar to scouting, and so we have a lot of branding that we participate in, and one of those things that we have branded are these little pins that we wear, and we're known for it. It's like there's not really comparison because there's not really institutions like ours that compete against other institutions, but we're known for having these pins. Well, the rule is that you need to wear the pin all the time when we're competing and when we're at pony club things, um, except, except when we're jumping over things with the horses, you're supposed to wear them all the time when you're riding all the time, when you're working with the horse on the ground all the time, whatever. But when you're jumping over fences you have to take the pin off because even with a pin back, you could be impaled if you fell <laughs> off. So it was like you could wear the pin while riding, but just not if you were jumping over things. Like if you were just riding and just, you know, 
what we would call flatting. So you're not, you're just all four feet are most of the time on the ground. Like that's fine. But as soon as there's a jump in the mix, impalement, if you fall off. Um, so <laughs> because you can't fall off if your four feet are on the ground. Right. Exactly. You can't <laughs> fall off except if you're jumping. Yeah. It was just ridiculous. Um, they have since changed it. So everything is fine now, but it also, if, if, if by any chance your viewers or listeners know of the organization, United States Pony Club, they will know exactly what I'm talking about in terms of <laughs> rules. Um, and otherwise this is a very niche story. So, um, we're like, we're, we're like the super double rule followers, um, mm -hmm. of the equestrian world. And we're very much known for that. So there's a, there's a lot of rules. Many of them make sense. Some of them do not, but I think that can be applied to most parts of life. So, yeah, very, it's very, very funny. I, I think back to like, um, yeah, I, I have all these ideas of past stories of like schools I worked in where kids couldn't wear hats. You know what I mean? Like, like mm -hmm. that was a, a thing. Like, so, like you couldn't wear a hat in there. I'm sure you know Lee's school doesn't allow hats. Um, unless um, you're a senior, seniors are allowed. Gallon. Yeah, seniors are allowed. <laughs> no, <laughs> only when they park their horses outside. Yeah. <laughs> but no, seriously, the kids are allowed to wear ball caps if they are seniors and they have a trust card, which is this little card that basically allows them entry into different parts of the school. Yeah, it's there are some silly rules. Trust me, there, yeah, there really yeah. are. Yeah, but the thing I I remember uh, is back when I used to coach. Um, I it was like change of rule, change of rule, change of rule, change of rule, <laughs> convoluted. Where in the last couple of years I coached, one of the things that they would say is that um, if kids rode the bus to an away game, they had to ride the bus back unless they were dismissed from by their parent. And the way they got a dismissal was that they would write a note that they would give to the kid that then would give to me. But then I needed to see the parent take the kid from the the game when they left at the end. So in other words, we just basically forced the parent to like give me three hours notice that they were taking the kid from the away game. And it was one of those things I came across like one of my old coaching folders this past winter when I was cleaning some stuff out. And I literally had this stack of notes from parents dismissing them from games. And I was like, this was the dumbest rule. Like, first of all, it was not like anybody else was vetted them. My, my, like, it wasn't like the, the, the athletic director saw them or the school gave them permission or anybody other than me, the kid gave a note to me. And then I saw the parents at the game. Like, why did we need a, need a note? And I could, I, I just, it was one of those really weird situations of like, <laughs> like it's their parents, <laughs> they're taking them. Like, uh, but I can remember situations where I felt like in coaching, there were all these like weird rules that they would have that were, you know, started by one thing and then five people protested the rule. And so they watered it down and then changed it. And then nobody even knew why we started to do it in the first place. Um, but those type of things. So uh, I think the the takeaway here is that uh, life is full of dumb rules um, <laughs> that, that usually everybody is trying to follow, even though it might be one person who broke the rule once. Um, and rather than dealing with the rule breakers or the people who are 
a problem. We make everybody try to follow this set of rules, uh, many of which nobody would have ever thought to <laughs> do anything otherwise or or follow or break otherwise unless they were told, oh yeah, you got to follow this rule. Um, and so with that in mind, um, I want to talk about this idea. Do you feel that you've had more student behavior issues in your school or classroom this year compared to previous years? Um, are students less like rebelling against rules? Trying, um, you know, are they are they trying to be controlled, um, or are there some larger issues at play? And so, so Lee, how about you? What kind of issues are you seeing when it comes to rules? So I'm not seeing so much, you know, bad behavior in my classroom. I will say that, although I have had a couple of issues of academic dishonesty. But for quite frankly, for the population of kids I teach. They're generally pretty good disciplinary, you know, in terms of discipline, like it, it doesn't take much to get them to behave. But as far as academic dishonesty goes, yeah, I've had a couple of instances of that, but that's happens in a normal year. Um, but we've seen more of that all over the building, simply because a lot of the kids who are doing it are the ones that were online last year. And so it was a lot easier to fly under the radar and do that stuff without any consequences. Um, but in general on our campus, oh, yeah. There's, there's definitely a lot more just bad behavior in general. Um, you know, I'm in training to be a, to, to get my principal certification, in the, even though I will probably never serve a day as a principal. <laughs> um, but because of that, I've, you know, I've, I've had the opportunity to go down to our discipline center and make some observations of principals interacting with students who've been referred. And you know, I, I get to hear, you know, what the kid has to say about their behavior. And it's basically like, yeah, I don't know why I did this. It was dumb and I'm sorry. Or mm. yeah, I did this or worse, you know, we've had kids arrested on campus and taken away. Mm. Um, we've had kids, you know, do some, some, some pretty illegal things in public. I'm not going to go into any detail as to what those things are. Mm. Um, but let's just say that, you know, if it were, you know, adults doing these things in public, we'd probably get a really good hefty fine for it. Um, mm -hmm. The worst part is that the administrators have to rewatch this behavior on camera when they decide what they're going to have to do with these students and how they're going to discipline them. Um, and I do think that there are bigger issues at play. I don't think it's the whole, you know, we're being controlled now. I think it's, you know, really that if they were at home last year and for part of the year before, which a lot of our kids were, then they probably weren't disciplined at home at all. Um, and they also didn't have a, a captive audience to watch the bad behavior. And now they do, right? And because our kids are so focused on, you know, filming fights, filming, you know, just bad behaviors and ha ha ha, I'm going to get away with this. Kind of like what was that thing at the beginning of the year, the devious licks thing that happened at the beginning of the year. I mean, we had kids do stuff for that and, and you know, had felony charges <laughs> because of the amount of damage that was done to the building. Um, mm. You know, so I think it's because, you know, they didn't really have anybody to act out in front of at home. Now they're back at school. Now I've got groups of kids that'll watch me and they'll film me and I'll get TikTok famous or I'll get Instagram famous or Twitter famous or whatever. And they're not being held accountable. Um, you know, at home outside of the building. And when we do hold them accountable for their behaviors, when they're inside of the building, they just go wild. Um, and even for little things like, you know, cursing in the hallways, we, I hear so much more of that now than I ever heard before. Um, 
and, you know, just people being downright nasty to one another. Um, I've seen a lot of that too. And, you know, I call it out when I see it in the hallways. I don't see it so much in my own classroom just because my students know, hey, we don't behave like that in here. We treat each other with respect. And if you have a problem, you talk it out and then you come and see me if you still have a problem. But yeah, in general, yeah, we're definitely seeing some, a, 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 a huge increase in just mm. terrible behavior. Wow. All right. And I know that uh, we've had conversations in the past. So, so Sedate, I had a feeling you were going to, you, where you stood on this, but, but what are, what are you seeing? Are you seeing issues in the classroom, in the school as a whole? What kind of, what kind of things are, are coming across for you? Yeah. So my, um, my view of it is largely our freshmen and our sophomores. Um, so I teach, I have uh, four sections of freshman bio and then two sections of AP. And my AP kids are my AP kids. Um, they, they are who they are. Um, and I think that they have, like, at, at my school, the, the AP track is, is the, the AP kids are definitely, you know, somewhat on an AP track, but they're the kids who, who end up in AP biology are definitely, um, you know, are, are college bound kids, um, generally, um, students who understand the game and understand, understand the system and, and are good people. And I think I also attract those students, um, because of my persona at school. Um, but the freshmen are, um, obviously they don't, they, they, they are not, they're not selecting a class. Um, it has been rough this year. I think that this year's that not, I think this year's behavior has been the roughest I have ever had to deal with, um, amongst my freshmen. Um, our freshmen are nasty to each other starting day one. There was no honeymoon period for me, um, for us this year. Um, the, every single comment, um, of certain students has an edge. Every single comment has a, has nastiness behind it. Um, and even certain comments to me and I have, the, I, I kind of live in a, um, I live a little bit looser with my, um, classroom management, hopefully to gain strides in relationships and to, um, I, I, that's just my, my approach is generally a little bit looser and sometimes that bites me in the butt. And this year it has bitten me in the butt for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, even kids saying things to, to me that are just overtly, critical. Like it's just, everything is critical. Everything is a sassy, snarky comment. And whereas I felt like in the past, I could usually take a nasty comment as, oh, just a one-off. I I feel like now I have to deal with every single comment that a kid says that, mm-hmm. that I hear because it's so relentless and it's so, um, it's just, there's just a lot of it. Language in the hallways is abysmal. I have my classroom very close to our, um, agricultural classrooms and our shop classes and I get a different clientele by my room than my coworkers do um and in my department specifically um you know I've got department members who don't teach any underclassmen and to them the world has not changed and I'm over here dreading certain hours because of the not specifically the fact that I'm going to have to deal with x y or z but just like the energy that kids are bringing is not it's not fun like it's not it's not pleasant it's not positive i mean every single day i have you know stencils or not stencils i have, I have wall art in my room and i 
drew on my wall um like be nice using like um like beryllium and nickel and um cerium so you know it's like elements of the periodic table it says be nice and i think every single day i have to be like look at the wall look at the wall and like as a reminder to simply be neutral i would take neutral at this point yeah um so we have a lot of this and and like i said it's very from my observations it is very much tied to the kids who were not in high school and did not have like adulty expectations held for them in the pandemic and so Mm -hmm. they were i think they were the, the the kids the years of the kids that just got left at home um, maybe to manage their other siblings or whatnot um, that also did not have, you know, an adult that they had to answer to at home. And so they are feral is the word that I've used for them all year. And I have said that they are feral to my seniors, my upperclassmen, because I said, look, your teachers are tapped out. Like if you guys can start to help us help when you hear stuff in the hallway, demonstrate your leadership skills and call kids out where you've been able to just roll your eyes and walk away in the past. Um, now is no longer the time for that. Like if you don't like what you hear, tell the children, <laughs> they're only a year or two younger than you tell the children, you don't like what you're hearing and, and have a conversation to humans to another because we cannot do it all. And it is relentless. So it is, it is a big thing for me right now. Yeah. Yeah, no, and today I I know that you have not been having a, a traditional year at all. Talk about non traditional years, but you've had not your traditional year as well. Um, so, ha- what have what has your perspective been on uh, what you're hearing about student behavior, either from you know parent standpoint, you you've had that, or also your transition to the the new school? What have you been hearing and and then possibly seeing over the last few months? Um, I definitely have been hearing other teachers say that they it's been a very challenging last couple of years have been challenging as a whole. Um, And I think that different schools, when the pandemic did happen, different schools approached it differently. Like some kids were completely like asynchronous, right? Um, So there are a lot of different things that happen in different schools. So different kids had different experiences and that could tie into what we see happening now. Um, The school I was supposed to go to that I never physically made it to, um, they were... um, unexpectedly having a lot of behavioral issues. Um, and when, you know, people are paying like fifty, sixty thousand $60,000 a year to go to a, um, a middle school, you don't expect there to be major discipline issues happening, but there were. Um, I think personally, a lot of when, from my personal experiences, a lot of discipline ties back to student engagement. I had a lot of problems my first uh, few years teaching and a lot of it was just because I didn't have a a proper classroom management plan. Um, And it was probably because um, I didn't know how to get the kids engaged. And I spent years and years and years um, picking up different, taking different courses and professional development stuff so that I could uh, do better with that. And when I, when I shifted um, the professional development experiences and I started focusing on um, like how I work with kids, I saw a huge shift in my in my classroom. Um, right now, I'm the substitute teacher, so the teacher um, the kids had went on maternity leave, and so I'm coming in the last two months of the school year. Uh, generally speaking, no discipline issues. Um, kids are super nice. 
Um, there's a one or two kids who are being out of four biology classes, one or two kids that I think are being somewhat resistant. But when I say resistant, they come in the class, they do the work, and maybe they just give me like a little look that I don't like. And then maybe <laughs> behind my back, they complain to another teacher about me. So like in the big scope of things, that's not a big deal. Uh, but being a substitute teacher is extremely hard. The one day I subbed, like, the one day I subbed at the public school um, this year, the uh, there were a lot of rules. There was a lot of a lot of um, what seemed to me to be chaos in the hallways, a lot of uh, lack of engagement and student focus, and it was really really hard for me to be in that environment, um, which is why I decided to come here and be away from my kids to take this sub this sub job because I I didn't think. I could like be in a different classroom every single day and just be treated like basically crap. Can I curse? I didn't want to be treated like (laughs) crap for like, you know, two months. Um, And the school I'm going to now, I'm going to have four classes. I'm going to have 12 kids per class. And then I have one maybe advisory group. And I mean, I just don't think discipline is going to even be on my radar. Um, So I'm looking forward to that, but I know it's a, I know it's a challenge. Um, I don't know what all the answers are, but I know it's challenging. Yeah. As I told today, all I have is questions. I don't have any answers at this point um, uh, in there. And one of the things you said actually resonated a little bit with me because I've been thinking about, I've been thinking about this a lot because I am hearing all sorts of issues in the school, uh, but they're not really showing up in my classes. Similar to what you're saying. I, I teach freshmen and sophomores, but I teach an honors biology sections of those. And, and they're, you know, generally pretty well-behaved students. Um, my AP students are, are fine. And I, I also taught previously in an alternative program in our school for kids who really struggled to get through traditional days. So I know about some of the really extreme behaviors, law enforcement issues, things like that, that happened pre-pandemic with small populations within our school that I don't think, you know, most teachers got were, you know, saw those things. Um, and I just think that there's some percentage more of those issues. Like they're not new issues. They're just broader and they're hitting more kids. And it's, it, it there's definitely been a shift. And what I can, you know, as, as Sine was talking, I was thinking that like when you're a brand new teacher, you realize, oh, I got to figure this out. And you spend all of this time doing this and you develop routines and you develop it in a culture and in your school. And all it feels like all of a sudden, like all of the rules about that sort of changed. And so now like everybody's sort of a first year teacher again, when it comes to student behavior, because student behavior doesn't mean what it did like, um, you know, beforehand. Right. So like all of a sudden, like there's this brand new, there's this brand new environment that, that we didn't have a couple of months ago. Right. So, so like, that's a very weird situation that, that we've walked into. Um, and as I said, I have a lot of empathy for both, um, parents, uh, and students as well as teachers in this situation. Um, and I'm trying to find ways of being supportive without being like judgmental on anybody in the situation. Cause I feel like that's the negative energy that shuts down the conversations, um, about behavior. Because if you come in and you're like, ah, the parents, they're not doing X, Y, and Z. Well, I know some parents are busting their tail. And if you're like, all of the kids are doing X, Y, and Z, like, well, 
some of the kids are doing X, Y, and Z. And then I qu- I wonder how that influences the culture. If some kids are doing something and then that cultural shift, it's it's a weird, it's a weird dynamic. Like it's it's a weird dynamic. But personally, I'm not seeing a lot of it, but it is a huge conversation in my school. Like huge. Like every meeting I feel like we have, every school-wide meeting is about student behavior, even mm. though I'm not seeing every day. So it's definitely shifting things. So so as I say that, like how are the discussions about behavior being discussed in your school? Are your schools taking account of the pandemic? Are there discussions of like restorative justice or new policies? Like what are they doing? So so Sadate, you you were um, not to say that you were the bleakest of us, but you were the bleakest <laughs> of us. So like so clearly five alarm fire, you're having meetings, you've got new policy. What is your school doing regarding this cultural thing? Because you you I mean honestly it sounds like the teachers need some significant changes. So what's going on in your school? So uh, just to say, we're going to we're going to bank on on me speaking publicly here and that maybe perhaps my administration won't be seeking out this podcast. Um, (laughs) Largely nothing this year, um, to be to be frank, at least not a school wide like. We are talking about talking about it, Mm -hmm. which is not nothing, I suppose. uh, like I said, I think that it's very stratified um, as to which teachers of which classes are experiencing it. We have a lot of um, courses. So like our social studies department is fully um, like grade level wise integrated. So there's no there's not a there's not a class that is specifically all one level of kid. Um, I like science does have that does have that like like grade level tracking. So my freshman bio classes are all freshman bio. There's no sophomore bio. There's no whatever. So I think in the classes where we have more mixtures, we're seeing less of these behaviors. But in the classes where it's just our freshman and our sophomore, we're seeing this. And we don't – I've been begging for this for years. We don't have any professional – like we have PLCs. We don't have any PLCs. Like we don't have any freshman PLCs. We don't have any ninth grade, 10th grade PLCs. And so I don't – I can't – I can, I can talk about behavior with my science department coworkers and our science PLC, but they don't know that specific student. You know, the, mm. the best that we have right now is us sending out an email to all of those students, teachers, which we can do. And I have done, um, you know, talking to parents, whatever, but that's still a one-off, you know, it's a, it's a one-to-one, not a sort of a, a broader take. Um, we are experiencing um, a, heck of a lot of senioritis on the side of our (laughs) principal my principal who i've gotten along really really well with is retiring Uh and so we are at a point where like and if he were listening to this podcast he'd be like yep (laughs) that's me right now but like wow we're, we're a little bit in the wild west of like like he's a former hockey coach and by no means am i saying that he's letting everything slide it's just that we don't have a strong North Star right now, and a lot of our, like, whole staff meetings have been canceled. Um, so, like, kids are getting dealt with when they have extravagant behaviors that are bad in front of the principals. Like, that is getting taken care of. If we write a kid up, that'll get taken care of. But it's, for me, it's like I'm a frog in a pot, and the heat's been turned up, and mm-hmm. I... I'm like, it's a little warm in here. Um, and everyone's like, it's warm in our pots too. And I'm like, okay, but can we talk about everyone's pod being hot? And they're like, um, but 
you know, right now the cook is, is there's a new cook coming in. We'll talk when there's a new cook. And I'm like, no, but I'm hot right now. Like we need to, we need to deal with this right now. So it's a very weird time. (laughs) And like I said, there was never any honeymoon period with these kids. It's been an all year thing. And so those of us that are teaching a lot of freshmen are tired. Mm. Um, and, um, we only really have had the switch. Luckily again, a weird situation. Our principal, like I said, is retiring, moving on. Our vice principal got the principalship and our new vice principal is our former instructional coach. So it's really nice that all of our admin is going to be in house and I know them. Um, but there's some like, Oh, we don't want to step on, you know, our current principal's shoes or current principal's toes. And I'm close with him and he's going, it's I'm out. Like he's, he is phoning it in every day. And, um, so I'm sitting here going, okay, I'm seeing this whole scene. You guys can step up now and like, let's have a meeting for those of us that want to spend an hour after school talking about student behavior. Let's do it. And we're not. Yeah. So, um, like I said, we're talking about talking about it. Um, mm. and we are still having our, you know, we, like I said, we can still write kids up and have a one-on-one whatever, but, um, we are very, I mean, every institution is slow to change and I'm, we are especially slow to change in this regard yeah. and it's slow to respond in this case. Yeah. So it's interesting. You're not the first teacher that's told me that they've had lots of staff meetings canceled this year. I, I have mm-hmm. a friend who I was talking to in another school and, and like, I think it speaks to administration um, overload. Um, yeah. in, in his case, it definitely sounded like overload uh, that they've got so much that they're like, yeah, I can't even get to that. Um, which, you know, we can't really do that when we have a lot on our plate. We can't just like cancel our last period class. So it is an interesting dynamic that that, that happens. But I think yeah. that, um, yeah, I'll talk a little bit more about that with my school um, in, in a little bit. But um, yeah, that's not helpful. Like, and that was the the tone I was I was hanging out with my friend uh, during our our most recent vacation. Uh, one of my the, one of the only buddies I actually get to and talk to face to face. Happens to teach in a different school, uh, and he was saying that he was he was like, yeah, we've had like three three staff meetings, and he's like, it's not like nothing's going on in the school. Right. <laughs> like 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 I'm not a big fan of of faculty meetings, but you still need to have them. Like like right. it is the one time a month where you get all the professionals in a room, and if there's something going on this is the time to take the power and use that. Now you can run those extremely poorly. And yep. believe me, I've been in a lot of very poorly run meetings, but to not even have the meetings means that you're not even talking about or addressing those issues at all. Right. Yeah. 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 And that's that. exactly. And when we, like I said, when we've had these large meetings, it's a, it's, it's like, we all go, all right, stuff sucks. And everyone's like, <laughs> stuff sucks. And we're all like, yeah, stuff's really hard right now. And then we all go, mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, like, I'm not, I'm not a sit and com- like, I'm not a complainer. I'm yeah. a like, let's freaking fix this. Let's have, yeah. let's have a come to Jesus moment behind the shed. Like, <laughs> let's discuss this. Let's, let's yeah. get in kids faces. Let's pull a team of people together to get on top of kids. And we've done this before in terms of academic responsibilities, but we have not done this in terms of behavioral. And, um, you know, you asked about restorative justice, like, I teach at a extremely predominantly white institution. I think we are 97 or 8%. And um, I think we have less than 10 black kids in the school. So any people of color are generally Hispanic students. Um, and so restorative justice is not a phrase that we use. Um, it's a, I've, I've 
interacted with it in my student teaching and stuff like that in, in more urban settings. But um, in my little world, little, little town, like, I, I don't even need, I don't need that. I just need bare minimum studenting, bare minimum humaning is what I need in my room. And I don't even have that right now. And I don't know how they lost it in the span of two years is, is the crazy part. So It sounds tough. Like, I think based on the conversations I've had with other teachers, it sounds like maybe for teachers and administrators, there's a lot of burnout for, you know, for us. Right. And then, Mm. and then that in conjunction with whatever the kids mental, there's a lot of mental health things Mm -hmm. for teachers, administrators, for students. And I think everything just combined is um, we're seeing at it as like, you know, inappropriate classroom behaviors or whatever that's where it's coming out, but it's, um, it's probably uh, teachers need to have their mental health. Administrators need to have support. And I don't think it, in a lot of cases, people are getting the support that they need, whether, and, you know, Oh, go ahead. Not and parenting that is, 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 and I don't, I don't throw that around and I don't throw that in a, and I, and I don't mean to throw anyone under the bus, but the, like what, the behaviors that I'm experiencing are not squirreliness. They're they're downright like this is how you act as a human. And some of the behaviors of parents that I've heard of from my administration, um, we had, I don't know if you guys had, but we had um, a whole slew of inappropriate um, fake Instagram accounts that went around. Um, so it would say something like, so where my high school is, Reedsburg Area High School. So Roz is the abbreviation, um, we'll say Roz worst fits. So like outfits that whoever ran this account thought was ugly. We've had Roz worst posture, which is sometimes funny. We've had Roz bad parking jobs, also sometimes funny. And then we've gotten into um, Roz fill in the blank with poorly, a bad word to call a woman. We've got Roz milfs and dilfs that students were making about parents and there was a kid who made an inappropriate one again it may be like Roz weirdos like making fun of people who this person thought were weird people um and I don't remember what I don't remember what this one was but my my assistant principal had a parent in the office to pick up their kid who made one of these inappropriate Instagram accounts and my vice principal was was venting and was basically saying like oh can you believe you know, like this is all, this sucks, like social media, bad, whatever. And uh, he goes, can you imagine like these kids making accounts about their friend's parents? And this parent goes, oh yeah, I was on one of those. Isn't that funny? Mm. You know, I think, I think that, that that's a case where restorative justice then maybe needs to, like the kids are obviously making some really bad choices. And maybe in some cases the parents are condoning it and they're, I think that they need a chance to understand what the mistake is that they're making, how it's impacting yeah. people and how they can um, make different choices and then have the support to do something different. Um, yeah. And I do think obviously like it's not just teachers and administrators involved. I think maybe like counselors and people with different kinds of um, yep. education would be a part of that conversation. Now, yep. I, um, like I said, like I haven't, been in the classroom all year so I don't really know um I know like here they they've been having um they have uh, staff meetings every week 
once a week. All the staff are getting together. I know that they have, um, there have been some mental health issues and because of COVID, some kids have maybe gone home early and things like that. Um, so I know it's not an easy year, regardless of like what school that you're at. Um, yeah. When I think about this as a topic, because I've been doing a coaching um, for equity, like book study, book club thing with some teachers. Fabulous um, book. It is a really good book. It's I probably got to read it like a second time because it's challenging me in a lot of different ways. And I feel like I need to have um, more knowledge before I can try to like actually impact myself or anybody else. But um, in that reading that book and then just thinking about a lot of other things, I think there's a lot of restorative justice as a whole is not being employed um, with black boys and girls. And the, that's what the data shows. And it starts at a really, really alarmingly young age. So kids in preschool are being, you know, they're being, people are taking their biases and putting them onto a little preschool kid or a kindergarten kid. Um, and it, I think that has a huge impact in what happens in schools too. Um, it scares the heck out of me as a mom because I have two black sons that are, they're very tall and they're very dark. And um, I want to, I want to trust the teachers that are the people at the school that, you know, administrators, teachers that are working with them, that they're going to see them as young, like young men that are growing, that need to be loved and embraced. So I worry about it um, a lot, but I think it, it, like as schools or teams, if we look at data and we, and we look at what's happening in our schools based on the data, we can at least say, well, this is what's happening. Now let's reflect on why that's happening. And then let's make some radical changes so that if we're not seeing the impact that we want, that we can you know, do something different. Um, and I think there's enough people that have had positive um, outcomes after making a change, right? Trying something new. They've seen a positive impact on the community as a whole. So I think there, there are answers out there. It just, um, it doesn't help that people are burnt out. Hmm. Yeah, and Lee, you you had some thoughts also along this idea about restorative justice, particularly with the data. Yes, and so like I know on my campus, you know, you talk about the frequency of staff meetings declining at a lot of schools. Um, I don't remember the last time we had a staff meeting, um, to be honest. And y'all know that my school is enormous, right? I mean, there's mm. 300 plus teachers on my campus, and so it is difficult for all of us to meet at the same time. Um, and we're supposed to meet in smaller groups by our houses, which is basically, you know, subdivisions of the school. And even those I've meetings, read Harry, I've read Harry Potter. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But even those meetings don't happen very often either. And so, you know, if there are discussions about the discipline, the discipline issues on our campus, I don't know that they're being had, at least not among the groups of teachers. They may be happening among administrators, but if you're going to have you know, any kind of, of stuff put into place that's actionable, you have to move that conversation from that admin meeting out to the staff so that you can get the feedback from them because the only feedback you're getting is the disciplinary referrals. And that mm -hmm. to me is very one-sided. Um, now we do have data that shows, you know, we've collected data that shows, you know, as I said, black and brown students of both sexes are written up more often. They are most often put in ISS um, and they are moved over to our alternative campus more often. 
but it doesn't feel like anyone on my campus or anyone at the district level is doing anything, you know, to, to find out why, why is this happening? Um, you know, I think honestly, some of that behavior is going to be, you know, the result of not being intellectually challenged in the classroom. I honestly believe that. Um, I want to know what proportion of students that applies to. I'm just not sure how to collect that data. Um, so if anybody knows how you can collect that, that'd be awesome <laughs> because I'd really like to know. Um, but I really think that that's, that is part of our problem there. Um, as far as you know, some of the things that Sedate mentioned, we have that going on on our campus too. You know, kids setting up, you know, social media accounts where they're disparaging, you know, fellow students, teachers. I don't know if they're doing it to parents, but teachers for sure. Um, you know, and, you know, just this past week, we had a situation arise where some students made some pretty serious accusations um, against one of the faculty members on my campus that turned out to be false. But, you know, now legal action is being pursued because the accusations were so harmful to this person that, you know, they felt that that was the only recourse, you know, that, that consequences from the parent were not enough. Consequences from the school were not enough. Um, and so, you know, it's just like these kids have, as I said to my husband, they have zero fear and they give zero Fs because they have no, you know, they don't have any, they, they don't understand what the repercussions of their actions are. And yes, I know that, that yes, their, their frontal lobes are not well-developed and they're not good at making good decisions. No, they're not. But we're not the only teachers that these children have. We are not the first teachers that these kids have. The people they live with at home are their first teachers. And when those people are not doing their job, or doing it well, then it is left to us to pick up the slack. And when they don't like the way we discipline their children, it becomes a problem. Um, you know, because we have to account for the fact that there are perhaps 29 other children in our care. And when you have one that decides to act the fool and, and do something incredibly stupid and has no you know, concept of consequence or, you know, how it might make somebody else feel to be the recipient of that bad behavior, you know, what are you left with? How, how, how do you handle that? And how do you do that? And let's not even get started on the behavior of parents, <laughs> because mm -hmm. I don't know if the craziness has happened in my district, but I know it's happened in districts around me, um, because I have colleagues that have, you know, uh, their own personal children who are teachers in other districts and friends who are teachers in other districts. And I'm just going to entertain you with this really quick story. So there was a campus in a district that's a little bit north of us from here uh, that had a lockdown, a high school campus. And of course, you know, there was a parent who, and there was a fight so severe, they had to put the campus on lockdown. Let's put it that way. So that's an issue in itself. So there was a parent who rushed up to the campus to retrieve her child. And, you know, parent arrives on campus, tries to get into the building, is told, we're on lockdown, you can't come in. And this parent is carrying on and yelling and screaming, I'm going to get my child and you can't stop me from da-da-da-da-da. And the person, you know, the receptionist, I think is who it was, 
tried to explain, we are on lockdown, you cannot come inside. And this parent, I kid you not, maced this receptionist. Well, then the police got involved, carried, you know, parent away, you know, arrested them. I mean, there are some bad behaving parents too. So when you see some of the behaviors that are happening on the student end, some of it is because the apple is not falling far from the tree, you know, and, and I don't know what we do to fix that, you know, because yes, I know that school districts often have parenting classes and workshops and this and that, but often the people that turn out for those are not the ones that need it they're the parents who feel like, you know, they're the parents who are great parents, but feel like they're not good enough, you know, and they are the ones that are the ones going to these workshops and attending these how to be a better parent workshops when really those are the parents that need to be told, you know what, you're doing a fantastic job. Your kid is super and you are okay. You know, you're doing a great job. You know, mm-hmm. it's the ones that aren't doing such a great job that are just like, what do we do with you? You know, we have trouble with your child. What do we do with you? And, you know, and then of course they're the, the parents that follow the middle. They are doing a fantastic job, but their kid is still acting the fool, yeah. <laughs> you know? I mean, I've got one of those right now. And I mean, his issues, my, my, my students' issues are not disciplinary, they're academic, but this poor mom, you know, she and I have gone round and round, you know, back and forth almost every week <laughs> about dragging this kid across the finish line. Cause he's a, he's a senior. And, you know, so there's those parents, too, that we have to take care of, you know, because you know that they're working so hard to to make sure that their kid does right and and does well in school. And even they, you know, are still feeling like failures, even though you know that they're trying their hardest. It's so so it's a multifaceted issue. It really is. Yeah, and the 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 all the ideas of that concept of community and 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 the interplay between there, um, it it means like so many issues we've brought up here. Um, you know, before the pandemic, uh, my district was had the concept of restorative justice being brought up and discussed, and it specifically came about. Um, you know, it's it's interesting how our conversation went to that point because I remember when we first started talking about restorative justice, it came about with the idea of students who are chronically getting in trouble. And then they would get punished in a way that seemed to be completely unrelated to what they did. Mm -hmm. So a student, you know, a student acts out in class and then they had a lunch detention and there was no conversation with that student about what they did in class and how that had an impact on the class and how their, what they're being asked to do is in response to their behavior. There was like a disconnect. It was like, we have this column A of behaviors and this column B of punishment. And there was no teaching that was systematically done. I don't want to say it wasn't done because I, it, you get different people, like some teachers would pull the kid aside and have the conversation and would be doing restorative justice with the kids. And some assistant principals would be pulling a kid aside and doing that. But some kids, especially if they had made a third or fourth or fifth offense, it was just like, you did this, you go and do that. And there was like, it was like they gave up on the kid. It was just like, yeah, we're just going to punish you that way again. Um, and so that was definitely the conversation. And the other thing that we found, and even though we are a school that, um, you know, we, we're more diverse uh, sounding than, than Sedate described her school, um, uh, we are a, we're a fairly affluent Boston suburb. Um, 40% of our population is Asian. Um, and then we have a, 
you know, uh, uh, Latinx, you know, black and brown community that's, that's there, but does not make a huge portion, but definitely exists. Um, we have um, a, a fairly, you know, a growing uh, population of Portuguese speakers, mostly Brazilian uh, students. And that's, that's growing. I would say, you know, probably makes in the eight to 10% of our population, but that eight to 10%, they were getting in trouble a whole heck of a lot more than everybody else. And so when you looked at the disciplinary numbers and they pulled those, I remember being in the meeting back in 2018 when they pulled those things and they're like, oh, we're not doing a very good job. Like the school identified it. There were some accusations the school said, let's look at the data. And they're like, yeah, we got called out on this. They're right. And so they, they, I thought they did a nice job, but then the panic, the pandemic just threw everything apart. And so like what I noticed is the last, you know, year and a half of the pandemic, what happened is all those administrators were suddenly doing 12, in many cases, largely brand new jobs that they mm. never had to do before. And you know what? There weren't that many discipline issues because they were, there weren't a lot of kids in this building, you know, for, for three months, there were no kids in the building. And then we had like, because we did a hybrid schedule, we, for most of last year, we, you know, at max, we were having like 45% of the population in the building because some kids were fully remote and some were like, so like, there weren't a whole lot of discipline issues. If you take a school that's like 1700 students and then you only have like 800 of them come to the building every day, it's a lot easier to manage that. Mm -hmm. So we didn't have, and, and with masks and distances and, and, and all that stuff. And I think that this year, what happened is we packed all the kids back together. We re we changed a lot of the rules. So things were semi back to normal, but I don't think we rolled back the roles and responsibilities of administrators. They were still doing five additional new jobs that they never did before, like contact tracing, like uh, coordinating some brand new rules and brand new other things. And they picked up all of these other things that they weren't doing before the pandemic that now suddenly they were doing. And shockingly, they had a hard time tracking all of the disciplinary issues. And I think that that's what ended up happening in my building is that there was a slight uptick in disciplinary issues and there was less bandwidth for people to deal with them. And then all the adults were super stressed out. So they weren't walking into the room with a ton of empathy for the kids. They were just kind of box checking. You did X, Y is your thing. And so the idea of restorative justice wasn't really there. Fortunately, like our new principal has come in and she's like, yeah, this is not working. So she was like six months in. She's like, we're restructuring things. <laughs> our administrative team is going to look totally different next year. They, they started rededicating time and hours to things like they're definitely adjusting to the shortcomings of our system. But um, I think that there's definitely a learning curve for the adults. And if you're in a building where the adults are either so stressed out that they can't recognize that they need to restructure or you don't have the leaders that that are doing that like gosh it, it becomes overwhelming um and i i, I hear that <laughs> i hear that from this conversation that this can be overwhelming and i've heard it from other people as well so um not that I have anything positive to end on. I like to always end on a positive question. <laughs> I did a terrible job. I did a terrible job this time. But let's let's whip through this. Let's whip through this last one. Finally, we'll have a, a positive talk in our next episode. But yes. uh, do you think that this is a do you think this is a temporary shift in as because the pandemic or uh, do larger changes need? Is this possibly? Uh, how about this? This is my attempt to be positive. Is this possibly possibly? going to create an impetus for positive change with how we deal with classroom culture and school culture. How about that? How about that for that? Could this possibly be, you know, we're going through a rough patch, but it, it is a thing that's going to help us find this new place. And today you can be as negative as you want. Okay. But Tanea, you go first. <laughs> Let me just say, I am a very, I wouldn't be a teacher if I wasn't 
a really hopeful person, right? Mm-hmm. If I didn't see the good in my students and I didn't see the good in the schools mm-hmm. and the good in society as a whole, the just, just the good in people, I wouldn't be in the classroom. Like, I really think, you know, I, I care about kids and I care about schools and I want to be the best teacher that I can be. Um, and I invest a lot of time and energy into doing that. But, but, it's a big but, but that doesn't mm-hmm. take away um, the experiences that I've had and some things that I've seen, it, you know, happen at schools, like things that hurt teachers and things that hurt students. And, um, and so it's, it's really hard to be in a system and be a part of a system that you feel that has, is really des- has been designed to fail from the beginning. Um, And so, but I want to be a part of that system because I want to be a person who contributes to making it better. I don't think I'm going to be the person like who changes everything, but I can do my little part like wherever I am. So the kids that I'm with, I'm going to do the best that I can do with them. But let me just say the pandemic has highlighted like the reality and the reality is America is still like a segregated place. Um, there's a lot mm-hmm. of inequities that are happening. A lot of schools like to have like some schools that are all black still and some schools that are all white. It's just a reflection of how our communities are housing inequities. Um, so, and we have, we're losing black teachers still at an alarmingly high rate. I go to a lot of places, a lot of conferences and workshops, and it's like, I'm looking for like another black teacher. And it's sometimes, you know, you don't find them. Um, and then the politics that I'm sure you've all seen some of the articles that I see and things that I read on Twitter or on any, you know, any social media, let's kind of says to me that we have people who don't, really want public schools to be successful. They don't want change. They don't want people to be able to learn how to talk across differences, you know, have tough conversations about how we, how we make schools more um, equitable. And so that's a little bit, um, uh, that's, that can be depressing sometimes. Um, And I was a public school teacher when I first started my teaching career. I'm a product of public school education, um, but I am not, going to go back to teaching in public school. I did not feel like I was 100% embraced when I was there. And I don't feel like I was 100% supported. And um, so I'm I'm probably not going to go back to public school. I have thought about maybe, maybe I can just open my own school, like a really small school, (laughs) like a tiny school and just help like a few kids at a time. And maybe that's what I will do in my future. I don't know. But um, we need more um, funding for professional development. We need more funding for teacher education, um, student loans. <laughs> we should get money. We should like my student loans. I I've been paying them and they just don't go away. I don't know. Um, and then teachers should get paid better. Um, and then we should help uh, like teachers really focus on what they're doing in the classroom, like, like focus on having student centered. There's a lot of teachers. I think that still maybe just they've had their PowerPoints for 20 years and they're still using the same PowerPoints for the last 20 years. Um, And that's kind of scary. 
Um, when we know how the brain works, there's lots of research out there and we know people don't learn like that. Um, so, you know, we should focus on helping students develop lifelong skills like speaking multiple languages, <laughs> critical thinking, logic, all that. And yet our schools aren't really designed to do that. So um, I'm hopeful, which is why I'm still here. But then the yeah. reality is if you go out there and you visit a lot of schools, it, it's not always a hopeful um, picture that you see. Yeah. And I, from a culture standpoint, like when you are a teacher who like who runs a very student centered room and you hear people talk about student behavior. And I, I can only speak for myself. I, I remember people making comments like, well, the students can't just, they're just not able to sit down and be quiet for 57 or 58 minutes. And I'm like, who the heck is asking the kids to sit down? But that was a, that, yeah, <laughs> that was an opinion expressed by an adult in a room. And, and, you know, it's hard for me to not be judgmental about that, but at the same time, it's like, all right, folks, if I'm seeing this, that's not my locus to change. My job is not to change that behavior. But if an administrator sees that and they don't see that and go, whoa, red flag, what's going on in these classes? Like maybe that's why we are having some behavior issues that, that if these are, if there's an inequity of practice that's going on or that teachers have not been supported. And I think in my school, there was a lot of teachers who were allowed to get very successful in one mode of teaching and were not really encouraged to to transform themselves before the pandemic and you know um maybe sedate wants to take them behind the woodshed uh, to, to make a call back <laughs> to earlier well, all right Lee, Lee. Is, is that that's a phrase yeah, that my ahead. my like horseback riding trainer uses in regards to <laughs> <Yeah>. horses <laughs> yeah. you take them off behind the shed and have a conversation nice nice um, it may be more, more fruitful to have a conversation with the horses than the, than the, <laughs> the honestly, though, yeah, for real. They might learn more. <laughs> might be easier yeah. to Their train. brains are simpler and they have they have less input. It's amazing. Yeah, um, <laughs> um something I I totally that a a piece of what, what just got brought up in terms of adjusting teaching for the kids was awoken something in me out of frustration, which is that I, I, and don't get me wrong, by no means, would any of us ever say we are the best teachers or that would say that we have all the tools and toolboxes or anything. But like I, I started this year and I went, Whoa, Nelly, uh, let's try something else. And I, I tried some different styles of, of whatever. And I would run a little experiment in one class. I would do it one day, one, you know, an order of things or, you know, in terms of the like responding to 50 minutes sitting in one seat, um, because we have teachers in my school who have not changed their PowerPoints and have not changed their note packets and are still, I think we did, I think we talked about this last time that I was on this podcast because I remember I dated myself and I remember <laughs> specifically Lee knew what I was talking about. The machine that was pre-computer that looks, it's not a typewriter, but what was that called? The ditto machine. The mimeograph. Yeah, the mimeograph yeah. Oh, with the purple ink that smelled really good. Sure. <laughs> that sounds like a real thing to me. And so that is the, <laughs> that's, that, that's the format of a number of my colleagues' things. Wow. <laughs> what kills me, though, is that I'm the teacher that has, you know, the freshman-only classes and the behaviors I experience are not the same behaviors that they experience. And again, I don't know if it's a 
I have all these different kids in the classroom. It, it, like in terms of teaching methods, I'm like, I have the fun methods. You have the not fun methods. Why am I dealing with the crap? So I don't know. I don't know. I can't solve that math problem today. Um, no. In terms of in terms of looking forward, looking ahead, um, I I fully agree. I am also a very optimistic person. I'm a very, um, you know, I'm a very empathetic person. I really seek to understand. I really seek to make deposits before I make withdrawals, and I am. I'll end this positively excited to learn new classroom management techniques <laughs> because the ones that I have done this year have not worked. And every year this happens every year, my freshmen go, but wait until you get next year's freshmen and this year's freshmen are saying it about next year's freshmen. So I am sure that I will be having similar experiences next year. And I will just hope that I will become so much more wise over the summer that <laughs> I will be able to handle them better. <laughs> Uh, and if not, you know, we've got a different administrative team and maybe some more school-wide approaches to things that we're not getting right now and hoping for yeah. the best. But I hope I have new skills in a year. <laughs> that is a good effort at positivity. Uh, how about you, Lee? Uh, what are your ways of, of, of thinking about this? Have we come to this this point where, where we're going to grow from this or or what are your thoughts about this? So, you know, just kind of to... to to go back to what Tanea was talking about, about schools still being segregated places and, and not being welcoming for, um, let's just be frank, black and brown people, um, mm. you know, because I'm brown, or at least I consider myself to be. Um, and so, you know, I think that there are definitely some bigger issues that were, you know, laying bare by the pandemic, um, and that a lot of campuses are not equipped to handle them. They're just not whether they don't have the resources, the knowledge, the understanding, or the empathy to deal with those issues. Um, and leadership at every level, you know, not just a campus level, but we're talking district level as well, and regional in our case, because we do have what are called regional service centers. Um, the, the leadership has to be ready to admit that number one, there are some changes that need to be made. And number mm. two, the system does not you know, is, is, I'm not going to go so far as to say it's broken because I don't think it's completely broken. I do think it is deeply flawed. Like it is incredibly deeply flawed. If the system were broken, we wouldn't still be functioning in it. Um, but I think it is deeply, deeply flawed. Uh, they have to be, they have to have the courage to recognize that, the wisdom to recognize that and the courage to make the changes that are needed so that we serve all students and all families. Hmm. Um, and that's it. I mean, that's, that's really what it's all about. You have to have the courage to, to step up and say, okay, yeah, these things about my school are not right. And this is what needs to be fixed. Um, and as somebody who is, you know, learning uh, the ropes about be being an administrator, um, you know, I've had conversations with some of my friends and they're like, um, you realize that, you know, the ways that you talk about what you want to do <laughs> as an administrator and, and the things you say are going to rock the boat. I'm like, well, yeah, that that's <laughs> true. I mean, that's the kind of administrator, if I actually do ever get to do that, that I want to be because I'm not happy with the status quo. The status quo doesn't take care of all of our students and it doesn't serve all of our families. 
And, you know, and it doesn't serve all of our faculty either. And, you mm. know, it doesn't serve people like me. It doesn't serve people like Tanea. And so, you know, I want to work for having, you know, more equitable school systems in all kinds of ways. And if that makes people uncomfortable, well, good. It should. <laughs> it should make people yeah. uncomfortable because they need to realize that the system does not work for everyone in the same way that it does for them. And so there you go. I'm going to go in, mm. you know, balls to the wall fighting. <laughs> Woo, I like that. <laughs> you know, I've already told my, 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 my head principal is my mentor and and so I'm actually going to schedule a meeting with him pretty soon to talk about some, you know, the, the project that I have in mind for my, um, my leadership project that I have to do as part of my certification. And I know he's going to be down for most of it. I don't know that he's going to be down for some of it. So we'll see. Mm. We'll see what yeah. happens. Well, as, as you were talking, it was reminding me of a, a statement I had made uh, kind of towards the beginning of the pandemic when um, I was in a group and I, I described our school as being a very white space. Mm -hmm. And it was the first time a lot of my white colleagues had ever heard that phrase. And several of them afterwards came to me and they're like, that, like, that was a very uncomfortable thing to say. And I said, was it wrong? And they were like, no. <laughs> but the fact is, is that I, I mean, it's the default of being white is that you don't see you don't see the inequities that are put on people who are not like you. Um, and and the way you're I think the way we've talked a lot about this, uh, particularly when you have black and brown students and they are, you know, not treated equitably and their families do not feel comfortable mm -hmm. in the space. And I think that's that's the thing that we were just coming to realize, I think. Um, as a community. Uh, I don't want to say that nobody in our community recognized that before a couple of years ago, but it felt like conversations were starting to get to there in that 2019-2020 conversation. So I think it might be one of the reasons why I've been a little bit more optimistic about the conversations that we've been having in this year and how with our new principal who's come in, who is who's acquitted herself very, very well, um, I think that that they're they're recognizing some things, but there was also a little momentum about that so that people are in a space. But with that said, um, it's hard to add a lot more positivity to this because I think there has been two years of trauma that everyone has been going through, parents, kids, teachers. And it's hard to go into these interactions with one another and really have the ability to listen to other people's perspective and have empathy until we, we deal with that that trauma and there's going to be differences on when people deal with that trauma. And, and I, I think that that's really where leadership needs to come in because if you want people to come into a room and whether that's how adults are dealing with kids or how kids are dealing with adults or how, you know, the, the adults outside the building and inside the building deal with each other, you have to come in and recognize other people as, as human beings and recognize each other's humanity and start from that initial point. Um, and it's got to go both ways. And the strain of the pandemic I think has exacerbated the the conflicts that we're seeing. So it's not that I think that, you know, and even if people are like, oh, this is brand new behavior, I guarantee you there the any behavior that we're seeing happened in other schools mm -hmm. before the pandemic. But that doesn't mean that it's not worse now or happening more commonly now. And a lot of the situations we're seeing, I think, are a lack of people thinking about other people's feelings or other people's humanity and how those things will impact them. Um, and I think that's a reflection of trauma. Like 
That's that. That to me is my my general read on there. And so uh, I am optimistic that we have the capacity to grow, um, that things can get better. Because if things can't get better than they've been the last two years, that's dark. And I don't want to go there. I don't want to go to a place where we don't have better. The next five years aren't going to be better than the last five years. I'm hopeful that the next five years are better. And that's you know I am fundamentally an optimist, so I hope that's the case. So yeah, well, all right, that's well, when you start I, thinking about moving to another country, that's at least the thing that goes through my mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I've had that conversation too. Um <laughs> Mine's never been China, but I I have other I've had another country circled, so it's all right. That's we'll know we'll, <laughs> when when you see pictures of me in uh in football stadiums from other countries, <laughs> then that's when that's when other people need to worry. <laughs> all right. Well, uh that that's our darkest episode. That's we, we're gonna finish. This is gonna be our last sort of like mid school year for at least for Lee. Like this is the last episode to come out during Lee's school year. So uh, you know it's been a tough year, but um, I, I appreciate the thinking and um, it's made me turn over some things and hopefully it gives some other people some some uh, food for thought as we as we move forward. So let me give this episode's credits. Uh, please subscribe to Life of the School on your podcast player of choice. Uh, you can go to patreon.com slash lots and chip in a buck or two a month to support uh, the work that we do uh, by microphones and headsets and that sort of stuff and pay for for fees. Um, Music on this and every episode is provided by Jake Jenkins and Ex-Magicians. You can get show notes at lifeoftheschool.org or at the patreon.com slash lots website. You can follow me on Twitter at Mr. Matthew Tweets, or you can follow this panel. I will uh, I will tag them on Twitter. Uh, we are still using Twitter as of this episode. <laughs> yes. I will tag this group on Twitter uh, when I send this out. So thanks all for joining me, and I'll talk to everybody soon.